are you? I'm no one. Follow me. Nothing will stand in our way. I'll show them the dark side. I don't know your name. Finn, what's yours? I'm right. You might need this. Well, may the force be with everyone. Thank you for coming to Inside the Sequel. You know what this is. This is the podcast where we talk about sequel movies that don't get enough love or attention that they deserve. And I think this is probably the first time we've ever had on this podcast where we're going through a whole series of films, I think since Godzilla. And uh, we're doing it on the very controversial sequel trilogy, the Star Wars trilogy. And with today, we're going to be talking about Star Wars Episode Seven. The Force Awakens. And I'm very excited for today's episode and just for to go through this whole month of diving into Star Wars because I absolutely love this franchise. Is my co-host for this entire month. I'm so excited for the man is a storybook all by himself. There's just no words of fiction more fanciful. And me, Chris, the host, just has to give thanks again for the scattering of the magical dust available only seemingly to Daniel Epler, who can reach areas other podcasters just simply cannot reach, whose grasp of the improbable is utterly unique, whose timing, whose maximizing of the moment is unparalleled, surely anywhere in the climate of this hobby of ours. I have to introduce Daniel from Cobwebs. Daniel. Wow, Chris, I don't understand any of that, but it sounded flattering. So I think I appreciate it. All I can say is the bozos are back, bucko. That's right. That's right. The bozos are back. And to talk about one of my favorite trilogies in all of movies that a lot of people don't like, which is why I think it actually fits your podcast uh, you know, theme and that like, it's not sequels that people aren't paying attention to, but it's sequels that a lot of people don't appreciate. And I think maybe we can shine some appreciation on them. So true. And as a, and as someone who studied education in the public sector, all I have to say is this franchise, this trilogy really encouraged me to bring back bullying because the fandom of this trilogy really makes me want to sometimes. And, you know, I, I'll be honest, that is one of the, like the goals that I had going into this series is I don't want to make it into arguing with a straw man nerd on the internet who hates these movies and just constantly bringing up complaints that I've heard in the past and argue against them. Like, I think now is a really good time to talk about these movies. So it's been like two years since uh, Rise of Skywalker came out. And while these movies were coming out, the about four years, four year period, mm -hmm. uh, emotions ran high, man. <laughs> emotions ran high. Expectations were wild and all over the place. And a lot of people were loving these movies, but a lot of people were really upset about them. But now I think the dust has settled. And I think like right now is the time. Let's just look at these as movies 
Let's just talk about what they mean for the Star Wars universe and what their merits are as films and maybe not try to kill each other over them anymore. You know, I think it's time for that. It's definitely time for sure. Um, and, I, you know, for people tuning in, if you didn't know, Daniel and I, we went through the fly box set from Screen Factory on his channel at Cobwebs. And uh, I highly recommend people listen to that. Um, and now we're doing this. And I just got to let you know, uh, I think Disney has sent me a cease and desist letter after the trailer announcement for this. And then now when we talk about Star Wars, I feel like Disney's just going to be on this ass. Hope you're ready. Well, I, I mean, I would say I don't know about you, but I do know about you. I think Disney might actually be pleased with our thoughts on these <laughs> movies. You know, you bring up a good point. It Okay, so I don't have Disney Plus, but you can get stuff on Disney Plus like for the new Star Wars content. But theatrically speaking, it feels like forever since we got Star Wars. And I don't know if that's uh, because... It's been the, almost exactly two years now. Yeah. I mean, these... And we have, like, I don't know, like what's actually coming out anymore when we just talk about Star Wars, like outside of Disney Plus. I just know we get a Kenobi show coming out. We had The Mandalorian, which is awesome. The Bad Batch is a thing. We're getting an Ahsoka show or movie. We're I, getting a Boba Fett show just next month, actually. We're getting Boba Fett, which is I it, am really, really pumped for. Dude, he's looking a little chonky in that suit, but I'm pretty excited for it. <laughs> He's got a, he's got like a quality dad bod, I think, and I have no choice but to stand it. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, but yeah, you know, for a while after these Star Wars movies, the biggest thing for Star Wars was Grogu. It's kind of crazy; just merchandise itself was carrying the brand. Grogu is single-handedly more popular than anything in the sequel trilogy. I think <laughs> at this point, I don't think there's any way we can deny that. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I'm so excited so to go through this trilogy because, I mean. I made a video about ranking all the Star Wars movies on my, you know, formerly existing YouTube channel. You know, you and I, we always talk about Star Wars with our friends constantly, especially with these movies coming out, rankings and stuff. It'll be nice to let the Twitter world know what our opinions are on these movies. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it will be nice. And, and you know, talking about Star Wars, um, Star Wars is something that I have never podcasted about before. And I know you haven't either. And we're both like a little bit nervous going into this because we're like, oh man, this is something we love so much. We just want to do justice for it. Um, and Star Wars is my favorite movie franchise. Uh, full stop. It's absolutely Star Wars. Star Wars is the series that I like, I might judge less harshly than anything else but it's only because i'm so optimistic about it and because like i just love the world so much and and, and you know that really started for me i think honestly i would not be the star wars fan that i am right now if it wasn't for the sequel trilogy before the sequel trilogy came out what i always said about star wars is i'm not so much a star wars fan i'm just a fan of these fun space movies that came out in the 70s and 80s like i just cared about the original trilogy and that was really it um but the sequel trilogy really sparked a love for the whole world in me. And, and then I went back and I rewatched the prequels for the first time since I was a kid. And I really fell in love with the prequels as an adult, which is why like my love of Star Wars is not totally colored by nostalgia. Uh, when I was a kid, Star Wars was not my main thing. When I was a kid, it was superheroes. It was Batman, most especially. Um, so if anything, if my nostalgia is coloring things, it's Batman. It's not Star Wars. And, but as an adult, I've become so much more of a Star Wars fan. And I just, I love what every movie in the Star Wars universe like brings to the lore and the universe. Like I, I view Star Wars movies very much as like 
what is this movie bringing to this universe? What is it bringing to this story? And I'm less like, well, I don't like this choice. I don't like that choice. Like I'm much less about that with Star Wars movies. Like there are things in the prequel trilogy um, that first choices that I was uncomfortable with, but now like, I just really appreciate what those movies bring to the story and the place that they have, even when they totally defy my expectations. Um, so yeah, that, that's a little bit about my thoughts and feelings about Star Wars. Sorry for the very long monologue right there. I get excited Bruh. with this series. Bruh. All I'm going to say is I definitely grew up. I don't want to go to those people like, this is my thing, but I totally grew up on Star Wars. There was not a time on the weekends where I wasn't putting in that Phantom Menace VHS or renting Return of the Jedi and just, <clears throat> excuse me, or going out like my parent, my grandparents had cable and like AMC or like sci-fi, the channels on there would like stream like Star Wars marathons would be the original trilogy. Watch that all the time. And, uh, you know, you bought the toys, you know, you just, you re I remember as a kindergartner reenacting scenes from attack of the fucking clones with my friends, like on the Good playground, you, man. like, you know, like, yeah, Star Wars is just one of those things where it hits you always at the right time. Like the fans, like I get why the passion is always there for Star Wars fans, because it's like, everybody has a Star Wars story, you know, that makes them love the franchise so much. Um, and it, I don't know. I just, Star Wars is like, I agree with you. It's one of those things I'm just so biased about. And like, I love all of them, even though I have to rank them and say which ones aren't good and which ones aren't bad. But like, to me, I'll still watch those. Like we were watching fucking Attack of the Clones on your wedding. And that's my least favorite, but I was still so engaged. Well, with it. while we were waiting for my wedding to start, not oh. during the wedding. <laughs> I No, while the, he was getting married, <laughs> we I was in the back room watching Attack of the Clones. <laughs> <laughs> A much better love story in Attack of the Clones, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. I, that's why I don't have very many successful relationships. I base it all on attack of the clones. <laughs> <laughs> not you, you know, that Anakin guy did not turn out very well. You should not be looking to him as a role model. Honestly, I miss romance and steaming sexuality and big blockbusters like attack of the clones introduced. Yeah. You know, people are always complaining about a lack of sex in superhero movies, but like attack of the clones bursting with sexuality. Just you wait until you watch Eternal Bucko because that movie <laughs> well, is sex. I've heard there's a sex scene in there, actually. Dude, I haven't seen the it amount before. of nervous, sweating virgins that IMAX theater I was next to when that <laughs> those scenes showed up. These people never knew like like what the fuck was going on. They're like you you lay you lay flat vertically on top of each other, like that's how it works. And I was like, I don't know, probably sometimes. I don't know. Yeah. But um, yeah, dude, Star Wars is, is just phenomenal, man. Like it's so iconic. I think we're coming. I so like TikTok, you know, um, YouTube, young, young people younger than us, Daniel, even younger than me. I'm noticing a change in the the course of the ship where with Star Wars, the prequel movies are getting so much more love now than ever before. Yes. Like Revenge of the Sith, I swear people die on, you know, on a hill about why it's the best Star Wars movie. Even after the sequel trilogy movies come out and such, people have such appreciation for those prequel movies. And I love it because even though I didn't like a lot of them, I still really enjoyed them, if that makes sense. Um, but yeah, like well, it's that. because our generation are adults now and we are the generation that grew up with the prequels. But like I said, like, I didn't like the prequels when I was a kid. I was fine with Revenge of the Sith. I didn't dislike Revenge of the Sith but I really disliked Phantom and Attack. Um, 
And now, and, and those are movies that I've come to love as an adult. So it's not nostalgia covering all of my love for Star Wars, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, and now Revenge of the Sith is absolutely a top five Star Wars movie for me. <laughs> you laughing at me? No, no, of course not. Of course not. Just like I'm trying to think of my top five right now. And I don't know if Revenge of the Sith is in there, but yeah, for sure, dude. It's really great. Like the prequel movies are the movies I watch probably the most. And like, I'm the most critical of, does that make sense? Well, I'm the most critical of the prequels too, because the prequels, the prequel trilogy is the worst trilogy, Mm. but that's only because the original and the sequels are so good Mm -hmm. in my personal opinion. Um, But I still love the prequels, Mm -hmm. even though attack of the clones is the only star Wars movie that I like really struggle with at times. Um, but I still appreciate its place in the, in the franchise and in the story. It's weird. Yeah. It's weird. Like people are like, Oh, empire strikes back. The original trilogy, nothing's going to beat it. And then the other side of the spectrum, I feel like now is like Re- revenge of the Sith is like full blown, the best written movie of all the star Wars movies ever, you know? And it's like these younger, like it's the, not, <laughs> it's no, it's not. not, but man, I- I'll tell you, I'll go on TikTok all the time. You know how many people love Anakin Skywalker, the character, more than Luke Skywalker, the character? And I feel like that's always the two most popular people. And then we get to the sequel trilogy. And like, I could honestly tell you some of my favorite characters in all of the trilogies are are in the sequel trilogy, which is crazy. Same, same. You know? Yeah. Rewatching Force Awakens for like the fifth time now for this podcast episode. And I was just like, I was literally beat by beat in tears. The same moments I was when I was in theaters with that movie. You remember in 2015 when like, I felt like nothing was more important in my life than going to see force awakens like opening night. Oh my God. Oh my God, dude. The hype was out of this world for Mm -hmm. that movie. And like, I, when I was rewatching this movie last night, uh, preparing for this podcast and just, I had just a flood of great memories associated with this movie. I saw this movie opening night twice. Um, my friend Seth, our friend Seth and I, we went to see this and we wanted to see it in IMAX, but like the seven o'clock, which is the first showing uh, premiere night, uh, the seven o'clock showing for IMAX was totally sold out. So we just got regular tickets. Mm-hmm. And then they opened up a new IMAX showing at 1 a.m. And we bought tickets, dude. So we saw this movie at 7 p.m. We went to the IHOP nearby and we sat and ate and talked about it. And then we went back at 1 a.m. and we watched it again in IMAX. Not, bro, you had to go to fucking Chili's or um, TJ <laughs> or whatever. Ch- yeah, Chili's or Applebee's, which is the one we fucking go to, I guess, all the time now. Uh, Applebee's. Applebee's. I guess it could have been Applebee's. It was either Applebee's or IHOP because we were classy boys. Ah, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> Yeah, for people who don't know, like whenever like Seth and I or when Daniel and all of us watch movies, like when Rise of Skywalker, where did we go? We went to TJ Maxx or for TJ Friday? Or... TJ Maxx is a clothing <laughs> store. No, we went to Cheddar's after Rise Ch- of Skywalker. Cheddar's, dude. Yeah, yeah. You got to sit down and like discuss what you just watched, you know? That's right. That's right. Good times, man. I have so yeah. many good memories associated with The Force Awakens. Oh, man, dude. 2015 for me. So I live in a, in a small township outside of a big city, but like, man, like the main, the, like the main road where like all the restaurants and the shopping centers are, it was flooded because my house is like, right. Like in my room, I could always see the AMC theater there. And like the girl I was dating at the time, I bought her a onesie of Darth Vader. I bought myself a Chewbacca onesie. And I was like, I got us the tickets for, uh, I think the 7 PM showing. We didn't have an IMAX. Yeah. 
but we had I got her the 7 p.m. showing, and uh, I thought it was kind of early, but I was like, at least I get to see it. And then we went to the the steak and shake that's right by the theater, and dude, it was like packed. People were dressed up. People like brought lightsabers into the fucking steak and shake and shit. Stormtroopers were dressed up there, and like people were like coming from like the early showing and be like, oh my god, guess who's Kylo Ren? It's Jar Jar Binks, you know, and like stupid or guess who's Snoke? It's Mace Windu, you know, like saying like the random shit we were thinking about back in 2015. And my friends were like, dude, we can't make the 8 p.m. primetime showing. Um, do you want the tickets? And I was like, yeah, like that's prime time, 8 p.m. for sure. It was sold out theater. I couldn't even get the tickets for that one. I traded him so he could go, they could go to the theater early to watch the movie. We just decked out at Steak and Shake and talked to people. We went to the 8 p.m. showing, best crowd. Uh, people were like crying and like shouting when the opening started. It was just a great theater experience. Like I didn't, I mean, the girl, I don't know what her name is anymore, but like, uh, man, when I was there, it was all about that movie. It was just great. <laughs> Oh yeah, man. And I, I don't know if that's ever going to happen about star Wars again. No. I mean, for one thing, the fan base is a lot more contentious now, which again, is not something I want to talk about that much, but also there's just a lot of star Wars now, you know, there's always these new Disney plus shows coming, which I love. I love the Disney plus shows and there's a lot of books and a lot of comic books. There's just way more star Wars media than there ever has been before. But in 2015, we hadn't gotten a Star Wars movie in 10 years, not since 2005 with The Revenge of the Sith. And there was no Star Wars anything other than cartoons. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and man, it was so special. But also, it wasn't just that we hadn't got a Star Wars movie in 10 years. It was that if you didn't like the prequels, you, which was a lot of people, you hadn't gotten a Star Wars movie since 1983 Mm -hmm. um, because this is a movie that looked like the original trilogy and the prequels. I love how like vastly different they are in a lot of ways, but there is a certain just beauty and man, so much childhood wonder associated with that original trilogy and Star Wars had not looked like that since 1983. The prequels look completely different. And um, so it did feel like if you don't like the prequels or even if you don't like them quite as much, like Star Wars is really back this time. And it was just really special. And I think like the first entry of the trilogies is always a special one for everyone. You know, they're just like, look at Phantom Menace to Attack of the Clones and then eventually Revenge of the Sith. It's like Phantom Menace is such a crazy different movie. Introduces so many characters and different like scenes and like lore, like podcasting Tatooine is a city is, is like a, in most Eisley is like <laughs> you a, said podcasting, but I think you meant pod racing. Oh, pod racing. <laughs> now this is podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> but like you get like so many cool different aliens in, at like locations we remember from the original trilogy. Pod racing. We get more about the Galactic Senate, which is only referenced in the in the in episode four. You know, you get these crazy things coming to sight. Same thing like when you get with this movie with you know the Force Awakens. They reference so many things from the prequel trilogy at the end of, you know, Return of the Jedi. And then same thing with the New Hope. They all feel like such like set pieces for what the trilogy was going to be like. And I think that's probably why I I feel like when it comes to openings for all three of the uh, sequel trilogy movies, The Force Awakens was just the one that set the tone, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And this is the only one of the sequel trilogy and only one of two of the whole Disney era movies. Like I think Force Awakens and Rogue One both fit this, where it just kind of felt like everyone was happy. 
for the most part, especially with this movie, I would say Rogue One, like things still felt okay. Like things were still rolling yeah, all right. Yeah. Um, but this is the one where it just felt like everyone was celebrating together. And that was just a really nice feeling. And I, and I got to say, like the Mandalorian feels like that too. The mm-hmm. Mandalorian is something else where it feels like just Star Wars fans are all just kind of celebrating together. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and even though like, I mean, ultimately, I don't really care that people don't like movies that I love in this Disney era of Star Wars, ultimately, but it is, it was nice, like the atmosphere around this movie. Yeah, and I, the thing about The Force Awakens that I think, I think will add to its legacy and like its lasting impact when, you know, people much younger than us discover these movies and go through them is that like most of the other original you know starts to these new trilogies is it's so vastly unique like it it introduced actors who weren't super popular at the time you know and gives them yeah like big unknowns for sure big roles that you can kind of grow up or kind of like age with in a way you know like we love how many people our age love ewan mcgregor and hayden christensen and i mean especially natalie portman you know, like, it, it, like Liam Neeson, even like, you know, you grow up with these actors and like when they're getting big and big and big, and now you can like look back and think like, wow, they really had careers. And like, I feel like that all the time. Now, whenever I see like Natalie Portman or not Natalie Portman, but like Adam Driver and like Daisy Ridley and John Boyega and like Oscar Isaac, whenever I see these actors now, I'm just like, oh man, they're like growing to such stars, you know? And I think that's kind of like a special thing about Star Wars, you know, it's like you get to kind of see these actors in roles you love and then you kind of attach to them, you know, unintentionally because of the roles they had. And I think that's really cool about Star Wars. I've always felt like that, at least. Well, that feels like a pretty good segue, actually. Do you want to like talk about the new characters that this movie introduces? Oh, yeah, dude, for sure. Um, Like I said earlier, the podcast, like I think the actors in this movie, like the characters are some of my favorites in like the entire like series of Star Wars, at least. I don't know. Do people call it like the star, the Skywalker saga, which I guess is just a safe way of saying there's going to be new star Wars movies and different stories, but yeah, they first, I feel like they first started saying that when rise of Skywalker came out, that's when they kind of dubbed it all the Skywalker saga. Yeah. Isn't it crazy to think we might get nine movies of some random other shit, you know, (laughs) I would be surprised if they, if they stay with like one big continuity for nine movies at this point, but I don't know. I I have no idea what's coming with movies from star Wars, but I'm very excited to find out. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But no. So for force awakens, I mean, we can't talk, we can't not talk about like the villain and the hero. Cause like Ray, you know, we get a female protagonist to start and head launch this, um, this, this trilogy. And then the villain just, I don't know. I feel like with Kylo Ren at the beginning, before even the movie was coming out, he was all over the merchandise because he looked cool. He kind of looked like what people thought when they think of the old Republic, you know, series of books and mediums for star Wars at the time. Remember when star Wars had the expanded universe and people were writing whatever the fuck they wanted and like creating these super <laughs> cool characters and their, their arcs, you know, before they were actually in the continuity of star Wars. Kind of glad you brought that up. Cause I do want to make clear. I have not read the extended universe, which is now dubbed as legends. Mm-hmm. So if you want to yell at your phone and say like force awakens is not as good as, as what was made in legends with like Mara Jade and, and, and uh, 
what is that blue guy's name that everybody loves? Thrawn and Thrawn. Uh, I don't know about that stuff. Okay, so don't yell at me. Yeah, the Darth Malgus and Darth Revan shit and like the sold Sith Wars and stuff. Like that stuff is really cool, but it belongs in other mediums. It belongs in graphic novels outside of the continuity and it belongs in video games because those are the cool things to like be a part of. But like they do not belong in film. I could not see these things in film, especially in a Star Wars. People want to take Star Wars into like such a dark turn. They want to like have movies all about the Sith and like, you know, the bad guys in the fighting. I don't know. I don't want to get too into it, but like, yeah, I remember the outlash when JJ Abrams was like, no, the extended universe is not part of this franchise at all. And that's the end of it. I remember that being like the subject matter at fucking indie wire and screen rant all the time on Twitter. Well, that's really always been the case. George mm-hmm. Lucas has never considered the, the extended universe to be actual canon. It's the extended universe has never been something George Lucas has worried that much about. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I love about Star Wars is Star Wars is an incredibly rare franchise that is not based on anything. Mm-hmm. It is entirely movie based and movies that come out can go anywhere. And I think mm-hmm. that's one thing that makes it more contentious than other franchises, because at least with comic book movies, people, they know their comic book stories. And when Captain America Civil War comes out, it's not controversial because they're like, oh, we know that story comes from comics. Therefore, it's okay. It's in the scripture. So it's okay. Hmm. When The Last Jedi comes out, it's not based on any book that you know. It's not based on any comic book. It can go in any possible direction. And then people are uncomfortable with it. Mm, Good, 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 good point. I really like that point. And I I will say the, the extended universe, I read a few of those books. They're filler. They're really just filler. Like how many books did I read that were about the Clone Wars with Anakin and Obi-Wan just doing missions that they reference hindsightly in the movies from time to time. That's about it. It's for yeah, clout. <laughs> oh, is it? I've only messed around with the books post Disney era, which are canon. So I've never messed around with the old ones. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So yeah, the character in this movie though, like you were saying, um, dude, that Star Wars trailer, maybe the most watched trailer of all time, I would have swore on everything that fucking Finn was the main character of this movie. I would have swore on everything. Well, I love the trailer because it it told you almost nothing. Mm-hmm. So that's another great memory that I have seen this movie opening weekend is that it was such a great sense of discovery because I had no idea where the movie was going. I didn't know who any of these characters were. Um, when Kylo Ren shows up, I don't know who that guy is. I have <laughs> no idea. And that was so much fun for me. Dude, Kylo Ren looked like such a badass. We got to talk. Okay. We got to talk about Kylo Ren. All right. Kylo Ren is an amazing, amazing new villain. Mm-hmm. Um, he is now one of my favorite characters in the whole franchise. Um and I can't believe how much they lucked out on casting Adam Driver before he was Adam Driver. Mm-hmm. Like, my God. That is, I think, J.J. Abrams, his best quality is casting. He is amazing with casting. You look at any of his movies, and he absolutely nails the casting in this movie. Like, the new characters, the new actors, they are so good. And one thing that I was really impressed by, again, just thinking about it, rewatching this movie, is you don't get any of the original cast members, which is first Han Solo and Chewbacca, for quite a long time. For a long time, you're just stuck with brand new characters and you love every minute of it. You don't even care that Han, Luke, and Leia have not shown up because these new actors, these new characters are so great. I love them all so much. Mm -hmm. And you know, one thing about this trilogy that it reintroduces, or at least it feels like it reminds 
like people who are watching these movies who like have followed all these movies is because these actors have such great chemistry. Like you see scenes from like the set, they're hugging each other. They're having a good time. They enjoy being together. Um, it introduces like great quips of comedy within the actors. Like when you see Finn introduced to Poe, like they're cracking jokes at with each other. Like, Oh, like, you know, he's like, I need you to, I want to, I want to help you escape because it's the right thing to do. Well, you need a pilot. Yeah. I need a pilot. Okay. Can you fly this thing? Yeah, I can fly this thing. All right. We're going to do that this line thing. killed opening night. Seriously <laughs> killed. And like Poe Dameron looking at Kylo Ren straight in the face and be like, okay, you talk, I talk, you talk. It's just hard to tell with the mask going like, what? <laughs> like this chemistry and this goofiness and having a good time on, you know, in this universe, it makes it take away from like the daunting darkness that usually, you know, happens in these star wars movies and i feel like it would not be successful enough if it wasn't for the casting like you said like these actors were just so good at being able to handle all these different emotions and these timings for these type of things um and then daisy ridley like she kind of nails the role of being like the nomadic forgotten about person that kind of like mark hamill embodied and like the kid actor you know that plays anakin i forget his name but you know like she kind of nails that role like that prototype for sure I love Daisy Ridley with all of my heart and soul. Uh, Ray is also one of now one of my favorite characters in the franchise. Um, she is like, she is so sweet. She's so sweet. And I just love this person so much, but uh, she's also like such a resilient character and so optimistic. And she's kind of one of those people that's always up for anything. She gets dragged along to this adventure. She's game for all of it. She's go, go, go. She's so much fun to hang out with. And, and I really think that has lasted through the whole trilogy. Like she has always been such a great and fun presence to follow throughout this trilogy. Um, and she is one of my favorite characters in the franchise now. Like, I mean, you could call her like the Luke Skywalker replacement for this trilogy, but my God, I mean, sh a shocking thing, but she holds up to that kind of level, I think. Yeah, what well, like the original trilogy with Luke Skywalker is like he knows about the the war against the rebellion and the empire, you know, like he's eager to join this cause. And in this movie, Ray's just literally trying to survive. Like she's yeah, she's so like you said resilient. She's resilient to the fact that maybe her family who's abandoned her is going to come back to save her, and she just survives on her own and learns how to survive basically on Jakku. And uh, I really like. On multiple watches, I didn't really grasp that. But in my latest watch, I kind of really like that approach because it makes her different than all the other protagonists, you know? Like, okay, Anakin growing up, he's he's just a slave kid who happens to be really good with, you know, technology and robots. And then Luke Skywalker just lives on a farm, you know? But her, she has to survive all on her own. She has to fend for herself. She has to get her own food. She learns all these trades all by herself. You don't see that really ever in the Star Wars franchise until her. It's and she has such a, sorry, she has such a good attitude about everything mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. because like I'm, I'm watching her on this desert planet. She's all alone. She has no people. She's trying to live off of scavenging, but she's just like, she never complains. She, uh, we want, I love the scene of just watching her cook her dinner and then sit outside the little abandoned ship that she lives mm -hmm. in. And she puts on that helmet. She just kind of hanging out, sitting there eating and, and it just seems like, like, this is her life. And she's just, you know, getting by day by day, waiting to find out who she is, basically. Because um, much like Luke Skywalker, 
you know, Luke Skywalker, he had a family at least, mm -hmm. um, but he didn't know who he was. He didn't really know what his place in the galaxy was. And of course that's answered at the end of Empire Strikes Back. And that's very much uh, Ray's biggest struggle is she doesn't have a family and she just doesn't, has no idea who she is. Um, there's a great line where she first meets BB-8 and BB-8 says who he is is classified and Ray says, oh yeah, me too, big secret. And it sounds like a joke, but it's not a joke. She has no idea who she is. And, and of course we find out later, spoilers for the end of the trilogy, um, that she's Palpatine's granddaughter, which I recognize as something that felt out of left field at the time. And, and we'll talk about that a couple episodes from now, but, but you know, rewatching it, I'm just like, okay, so this is a, this is a sequel to the original trilogy. And now we're following Palpatine's granddaughter. She has no idea about her lineage. She's all alone. And we're just trying to watch her survive and get by and, and then eventually find her important place in the galaxy. And got to be honest, I kind of love that story, man. I think it's great. Yeah. You know, people complain about like Ray's just too good at everything. She's never challenged, but it's like, oh, she, here we go. <laughs> but she, she literally is grown into adulthood as a kid fending for herself like no shit she's gonna learn a couple things on how to survive you know she's like learning how to ride a speeder by her fucking self she's learning how to you know scavenge by herself like of course she's gonna be resourceful because no one else was gonna do it for her yeah yeah she's more of a man than you couch potatoes just playing video games on your mom's basement come on <laughs> yeah like no, a I bunch of also... chads are gonna be like i was gonna go to town to get power converters <laughs> We do view that we do see that she is a, a pretty, pretty great in physical combat right at the bat where she she fights off some guys trying to rob from her. And I was thinking at the end, you know, jump to the end when she's having a lightsaber battle with Kylo. A lot of people had a problem with the fact that she was as good as she was when she had never dealt with a lightsaber. Um, but she's been fight defending herself her entire life. She is a young girl living all alone on a desert planet with no family. She's been fighting for her life for a long, long time. Yes, she has learned to fight. Yeah, and you know, and it's grown me to come around with all these actors coming together and these characters. But the one that I'm so fascinated with, with throughout the whole trilogy, it's Finn. He changes so much. Like, you, you know, you, you can think of like Poe and Finn and Ray as being like, you know, the original three cast members from these movies. But they're also not like the prototypes of any of those three main characters from the original trilogy. You know, people want to say Ray's like Luke and like maybe Poe's like Han and then Finn is like Leia maybe. I don't know. But like they feel like their own, which is so cool. Yeah, really murky comparisons. Like Poe is not like Han. No. He is not at all. And yeah, I was really appreciating John Boyega on this watch because you put John Boyega with any actor in this movie and it's going to be a great scene. They're going to have great chemistry. There's going to be a great energy, a great rapport. You put him with Oscar Isaac. They're fantastic. With Daisy Ridley, they're great. He's even really funny with Harrison Ford. Mm -hmm. He is a really fun, funny pre pre presence in this movie. Um, and, and like, it really is awesome that we watch a stormtrooper be humanized because we had never gotten that before. And watching a stormtrooper mourn his friend dying on the battlefield and realize oh shit like i'm going to die i don't want to do this and bail is so freaking cool and such a great addition to the universe mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and all these actors they have like really big roles before you know like i oh, think no. finn was like i think attack the block before this 
That's um, right. Yeah. John Boyega. And I don't know what Daisy really in really she was, was. She was nothing. I don't think she had even had in the movie yet. And I think Adam Driver was in a few scenes in Tiny Furniture or Have at you least been in like a Francis Ha at this point. Uh, Francis Ha was 2013. So yeah, technically. Okay. Yeah. So he, yeah, he was in that. Yeah. But he was also in that one TV show with Lena Dunham, I think. Oh, girls. Like, That's girls. right. He was. Yeah. But like nothing big, not enough to be like, you know, a main title card for a star wars movie um but yeah all these people like and and i mean oscar isaac maybe in one a24 film because he's like the most art like you know avant-garde of maybe all he's of an artsy them. boy he's yeah. an artsy boy yeah <laughs> but like i mean they're all and you get donham gleason in this movie as well too i mean i love him <laughs> like, like this the thing i love about the sequel trilogy is like i know in a couple years from now like you know 10 years from now i'm gonna look back and think all these actors were in such great works even after star wars but even their star wars performances were amazing you know mm-hmm. like i think here's like you think carrie fisher here supporting and mark camel you know they have other things they can latch on to you know but like they're always going to be those stars characters same thing with these movies with these actors and you can say the same thing about ewan mcgregor and hayden christensen and natalie portman you know their big claim to fame were these stars movies and they hold up um also, one thing I really want to talk about was J.J. Abrams with the for the directing in this movie. You know, J.J. Abrams, he's a weird director for me. I don't think I've like dove into his his filmography as, as many other people have. So like with him um, being like announced to be the director for this movie, I was just like, oh, the guy who's doing the Star Trek movies. OK, you know, makes sense. I don't know how obvious big choice, almost a boring choice. It seems really. Yeah. Especially with, like with today with casting calls and like, you know, who's going to be directing what, and who's going to be starring in the next big franchise. We're in a time where franchises and the main names in these things are like such a huge thing. I'm kind of looking at the bond movies, you know, in a way, um, or like the MCU movies, even, you know, like, yeah, JJ Abrams directing the stars movie. Was that just a boring choice? Cause for me, it was just like, I haven't seen the star Trek movies, but like, I know JJ Abrams is so, in relation to with sci-fi you know like it makes sense in a way well one thing i knew about him is he directed the star he directed the star trek movies the first two um of the reboot star trek and star trek into darkness but he was not a star trek fan and he was always very open about that and very open about the fact that he was a star wars fan not a star trek fan so one of his goals with the star trek movies was to make them feel more like star wars than feel like star trek And a lot of people hated that, like a lot of like big Star Trek fans, Um, but a lot of general audiences loved it because Star Wars is a lot more popular than Star Trek. (laughs) So when I heard that, like it seemed like an obvious choice, but also I knew he was probably going to do a good job because he made Star Trek feel like Star Wars. So you put him in Star Wars, he's probably going to do a great job. And I would argue he did do a great job. I think he directs the hell out of this movie. This movie has unbelievably great pacing. It is paced so well. It is always so consistently fun and entertaining and fast moving. And this movie is just a blast from start to finish. And you got to give J.J. Abrams a lot of credit for that. Mm -hmm. Man, I should probably go watch the Star Trek movies then. I'm not a big Trek guy. I really associate him closely to Criterion fans. They're just all a bunch of virgins who like to complain about the things they love, you know? That's me. No, <laughs> Star Trek fans are, I feel like they're a little less obnoxious than Star Wars fans are. Um, I think you would probably like the reboot Star Trek movies. Um, I like the old ones better, but that's more of an acquired taste. I think you would like the Abrams ones. Okay, I was going to say, is Star Trek and Star Wars, is it, which one's the Virgin and which one's the Chad? That's what my oh, biggest... 
That's a tough, that's a tough call. I could make an argument either way. There's a lot of virgins <laughs> for both. <laughs> I do like Star Wars better, but I love me some Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Yeah, J.J. Abrams, like when I heard it, I was, to me, it seemed like there was no other person to direct the Star Wars movie at, at first, I guess, you know? Like just based on name alone, I was like, I guess J.J. Abrams, of course, would be a choice because his name is everywhere when it comes to sci-fi and like, you know, big things coming out. He was really big in 2015. Um, but yeah, re- this this watch for me, I was really like trying to see what made like when you watch the tri- the sequel trilogy, they all feel different, even though J.J. directed two out of the three. But in this one, I've noticed the most man, he is having such a good time behind the camera. Like, I, I, oh I, man, yes. Like how many times is he doing weird ass angles that go straight to a zoom close up of the actor or it's trailing and following the actress from behind or it's coming from a weird ass corner straight to slowly panning into the face of the, of the actor, the amount of zoom outs, the angle to focus scenes. It just, he is dynamic. He won't sit the fuck down and just like have set pieces like the original trilogy would have. He doesn't rely on CGI as often like the prequel trilogy. It's practical sets, practical uh, effects, practical costumes. He's not sitting down and just having one long pano. He is up in everyone's face. He's coming in from here in the corner. He's coming in up down the the swipes, the, the, the very iconic swipes in Star Wars movies. You know, he's using those to full effect. He's getting the scan and the scale of the scenes. And uh, I never really noticed that or appreciated it on watches for The Force Awakens. But on this one, I was just like, man, like I really just like, I kind of almost dissed J.J. Abrams and his directing prowess in this movie. You know, because when you think of Star Wars, you're looking at what's on screen and who's on screen. But in this watch, I kind of thought who's behind the camera and who's making this stuff happen and why I'm so engaged with these scenes. Like the scene after the Maz um, Cantina scenes and it's like the, you know, the, the, um, the, um, the resistance is coming out to meet the first order in, in combat, you know, like I am so engaged because the camera is forcing me to be engaged with all those scenes. It's crazy how he didn't even get like a best, like a best direction nomination. You know, I know he had great cinematographers in the movie, but like, Oh my God, like the directing of this movie was insane. (laughs) Yeah, man. I I love hearing you say all that. Uh, JJ Abrams is an incredibly energetic director. Um, And I, one of my favorite examples of that is actually from uh, his first Star Trek movie, Star Trek 2009. And it's a scene with Kirk and McCoy and where they need to deliver exposition. But how do you make exposition interesting? Well, what J.J. Abrams does is he has Kirk and McCoy running around trying to inject Kirk with different diseases so he can appear sick so they can sneak him onto the Enterprise where he's not supposed to be. So it's this great comedy scene of like Kirk's body swelling up and his tongue swelling up and stuff because he's getting injected with his sickness stuff and Kirk's and McCoy's got to rush him over here to get him an antidote and rush him over here and while all of this madness is going on they're delivering exposition and it's this incredibly fun scene that could have otherwise been a very boring scene and that's just the kind of thing that you know I think J.J. Abrams brings to the table and he is the guy that gets he gets a lot of flack and I think it's because he's so successful um, and also he's, he's a very nostalgic guy mm-hmm. and yes, he relies on nostalgia a lot. Um, so we can ding him for that for sure, but it doesn't change the fact that he's a very, very good director. So I, yeah. I really enjoyed hearing your appreciation for that. 
Yeah, I never thought of like J.J. Abrams as like a really great director and more or less like the guy who like heads great movies or big movies. You know what I mean? It's kind of like, uh, oh man, what is it? I'm, I'm, I'm freaking out right now. The Russo brothers, you know? I never think of the Russo brothers as great directors. I don't know what the well, hell else they've worked on, you know? Yeah, that's another discussion, I think. Right, but you know- I think like, it is. Go ahead. I was just gonna say, I think it is the MCU that has taken our trust away from like believing that directors are are in charge of big movies. Because mm-hmm. generally directors are mostly in charge of big movies, except producers may make notes and such like that. But yeah. the MCU is so sketchy with it because they will mm-hmm. literally tell directors, you don't have to worry about the action scenes, we'll do all that. And like, we don't really understand what the directors are in charge of and what just the MCU uh, corporate machine is in charge of. It's very murky and sketchy. And I don't understand the Russo brothers. I don't trust them. I don't know what they're directing and what they're not because I don't understand how you can go from you, me, and Dupree and episodes of Community to these Marvel movies. It does not make sense to me. And they've yet to prove themselves in that way outside of the MCU. So I don't know. I don't know. I will say, I don't know how they fit through the doorways of their own apartments or houses with the balls to direct Endgame. Like imagine (laughs) the amount of pressure for that. Um, But either way, but yeah, like I said, JJ Abrams, I just, I could not believe what he was doing. And I, I am one of those people who think, maybe the force awakens relies too heavily in close comparisons to the original um star wars film because it does have a lot you know beat by beats on there but this original star wars movie is such a great movie in general that's not even a bad thing if you're copying off something that's really great and not even copying but taking notes from it that's not a bad thing you know i mean it 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 kind of takes away from maybe a lot of creativity and like difference that brings it to this world sure but i mean I don't know. It's not my favorite in the trilogy. I, I would say it's my, I don't want to talk about it too much, but like, you know, the force awakens, I loved because it, it captured the nostalgia, but we're getting a new Star Wars movie, but like in hindsight, it does feel like the most like, I would say the original trilogy aside. It's from- the least original of all the sequel movies. Yes. But um, I also don't mean that's a bad thing either, you know, because that's important. Yeah. That's how you get butts in the seat. That's how you make the money. You're opening up a really great discussion here. And the the thing is, The Force Awakens is a great opening weekend movie because it's familiar, but it definitely changes up enough to keep you guessing and keep you really engaged. But there's there's just no doubt that it uses the New Hope formula. Mm -hmm. Um, For me, it does change it up enough to where that doesn't bother me too much. And the fact is like, this movie really had to bring Star Wars back. I know we all love the prequels now, but that was not the attitude in 2015. Uh, For a long time, like guys, let's remember, for a long time, the prequels were absolutely reviled. They ruined your childhood. At least that's what people were always saying. Now the sequels are our childhood and The Last Jedi ruined our childhood, but I digress. Mm -hmm. Um, This is just kind of the cycle of Star Wars that we can't seem to get away from. I really wish we could. Um, But this movie had to bring Star Wars fans back into the vibe, you know, it had to make you feel like you like Star Wars again. And, and that's what it really did. Um, It did change things up enough. There were very surprising moments for me uh, opening weekend, I didn't feel like I was seeing the same movie again. And by the way, I think it helps that this movie was kind of on the forefront of the 
let's call it the requel trend where you make a remake that's technically a sequel. Um, Halloween 2018 is a very obvious example of this. Um, you've got, uh, I haven't seen it yet, but Ghostbusters Afterlife looks like that. Yeah. Uh, you know, these legacy sequels, Blade Runner yeah. 2049. Uh. There are a lot of these now. It's a very popular trend, but Force Awakens was definitely on the forefront of that. And I think that really helped that it it was doing it when not everybody was doing it. That's a good point. Yeah, because a lot of movies do that now. It's very popular. Like, like Candyman. Think about Candyman now, too. Exactly. Another one. Uh, in the 2000s, remakes was all the rage. Remakes yeah. are absolutely not all the rage. Now we have to call it a sequel, but it's a kind of a remake. Yeah. And then it makes people have to go watch those OGs again, you know? And then yeah. people say they're mid and then say the new ones are better. Nobody says mid but you. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, you know... <sighs> One thing about this this first movie, you know, like we talk about the borrowing of the original, we have to talk about the good and the bad. So they changed the names up. The first order is the empire. The re, the resistance is the is the rebellion. You know, sometimes even I get like confused on which is which sometimes. And I'm <laughs> such a huge Star Wars nerd, but they make it so close together, you know? Yeah. But like I think in this movie it it, this movie knew it had to like one bring in a new generation of Star Wars fans to like appreciate this entity and franchise, but two it had to bring in the old school people and like the people with the prequels. So like the First Order, they feel like such a threat in comparison to the to the to the Empire. They feel more like timely and like more of a threat in terms of like they feel like real like Nazis. They feel like space Nazis. They feel like such evil bad people. Um, they build a bigger Death Star with the Star Killer base, you know. Um, Kylo Ren, even though we make jokes about him and you know JJ Abrams' great directing to make him have temper tantrums and give to exposition at the same time work really well. Um, I get chills when I think of Donham Gleason delivering that scene to the First Order about destroying like the it's such the a Hitler speech. Yeah. yeah, it's like we never got that in the original trilogy or in anything else. But like we kind of always knew what the Empire was in a way. But it's just like you know stuffy high you know high society British actors being in uniform you know in space. In this movie, they feel like these are genuinely evil people that like want to fuck it you know fuck off to everyone else. Um, and the resistance, they feel like people who are like on their last brinks, which I think also when we get to talk about Rogue One, I think really adds to the um, sympathy of like the rebellion and the resistance. Like they feel like people who are just like on the last legs of sorts, you know, which is why I always like the good guys in these movies. They feel like everyday people just pick up arms. Um, and I think that you got to give credit to the sequel trilogy in that way, because like it kind of makes things more timely and it makes things more one like engaging for younger audiences to understand like these are bad people and two it gives new like fresh layers of paint to the older audiences that expected the uh, the first resistance to be just like the empire you know it always makes me happy to see random imperial officers in this movie especially when they get a line because i'm like that low level actor is so psyched to be an Imperial officer in a Star Wars movie right now. Like I'm always just happy for them, especially Daniel Craig, who gets to be a stormtrooper in this movie. Right. That's right. great. Right. Remember when stormtroopers were just fodder and like, they were just like bloopers scene highlight reels on YouTube. Like look at that stormtrooper in this one scene that fell off or hit his head, you know? Dude. It <laughs> almost nothing makes me happier than seeing a stormtrooper. Like you can have 
any show, any movie, whatever, no matter how bad, if you show me a stormtrooper, I am happy. Bruh, I love stormtroopers. There used to be that one YouTube video for a long time that was funny where it was just a, a stormtrooper doing like a air humping like dance sequence for like 30 seconds. It was like the most viewed thing on YouTube for a long time. Wow, I must have missed that one. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You weren't there for the OG YouTube, man. You weren't there. That's back back when I was like doing like, you know, <laughs> uh, Star Wars conspiracy theories of like how Darth Revan and like, you know, all these other, you know, EU um, movie storylines are going to tie into the sequel trilogy, of course. Oh man, I wish I, I wish I caught your videos. So, so I don't think I agree with you that the first order feels like more of a threat than the empire. I do think I have to give the edge to the empire, but I love that you bring up this discussion about the first order. Like, is it, does it suck that they are basically just the empire with a new name? Um, and you know, what I think has really helped that is actually the Mandalorian. I think the Mandalorian does a really great job of showing that the empire didn't just go away because we blew up the Death Star and killed the emperor. Mm -hmm. uh, it took them out of power. It brought the Republic back, but the empire is still around. You still got stormtroopers around doing bad things. You've still got Imperial officers thinking that there, that there is still some kind of a war and they're still kind of trying to fight to keep on top in some way. They're trying to come back. And also, I think it's I think Rise of Skywalker builds on that and that it shows that even Palpatine brought himself back um, and Palpatine has been working himself to try to bring the Empire back. So I think I, I, I know we want some of some of us, some of us want to think that Return of the Jedi solved all the problems in the galaxy and there shouldn't be more Star Wars movies because Return of the Jedi solved all the problems. But that's naive. There is no war that ends all wars mm -hmm, there mm -hmm. just isn't there is right. always going to be another war uh evil is always going to build itself back up or if you don't want to say evil rival governments are always going to build themselves back up and that's all that's happened here is the empire they were gone for 30 years it took them 30 years to build themselves back up but now they have they've rebranded they're not just going to call themselves the empire anymore because the empire has a negative connotation so they're going to go by the first order <laughs> and they blow up five planets and they don't just blow up five planets because they want to do a new hope again. Certainly maybe that's part of it. Maybe that's part of it. And that they're going off of a new hope, hope formula and Tarkin blows up a planet. So um, Leia can give them their location of that rebel base. Oh man, I love you, Peter Cushing. Uh, <laughs> so now they have to blow up five planets, but those blowing up five planets, what that did is it took out the Republic's infrastructure. Mm -hmm. um, now you don't really have a Republic anymore because the base, it's like Washington DC got wiped off the face of the earth. We're not really gonna have a United States government <laughs> if you take away Washington DC. And that's what they do in this movie. So now the only standing government left is the First Order. And I think that storytelling works. I don't think it sucks. Mm -hmm. That's my opinion. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I totally agree. Totally agree. Like I said, these movies are deep as fuck when it comes to like, if you look at Star Wars as just political sci-fi movies, they're fucking dark and scary. <laughs> like the overtaking and overthrowing of governments and the overruling of like, uh, a like a, a fascist type of regime it's scary and these Star Wars movies if you strip all the fun cool action stuff of it they're really dark movies in that kind of aspect um with the with, with this sequel trilogy though it builds on like the hope of like people from different backgrounds coming together because the first order it's also weird that like the villains are not only from what we knew as an audience is they were just clones for a long time now they're actual people 
who were conditioned and taken away. If you read the books and stuff, they're kids taken away from their families and trained to like be loyal to the first order, you know? And that's really dark for the, like a movie about space wizards and, you know, blasters and aliens. And, um, you know, it's really crazy when you see scenes with like Kylo Ren fighting with Don and Gleason's General Hawk saying like, maybe we should go back to, um, you know, clones because they commit high treason. So like human fallacy is now incorporated with these stormtroopers now. And it goes like that the bad guys are running out of resources. So they have to start taking from the galaxy's resources to like fund their war machine. And I like that aspect. I don't notice these things on one watch. It's like multiple watches. You kind of, and especially when you, now that I've seen Rise of Skywalker, there's other scenes throughout this whole movie that like, I think I was quick and a lot of people were quick to kind of like make fun of or bash and not like the direction take. It kind of makes sense in full circle, you know? Like, I don't know if JJ actually meant for that to happen or not, but like it kind of sticks to landing in hindsight. What kind of scenes are, are you talking about in that way? Ones that maybe you would have made fun of before, but will work for you now. So one big one for me was the Kylo and Ray fight. Oh man. Yes. I totally want to talk about this. Please lead the way. Oh my God, dude. So one, you get red and you get blue. What do you get? You get fucking purple rain. That shit is cold. Like I love that <laughs> stuff. Like it's ironic that they're in snow when they're fighting, but that shit is cold. Um, I love that scene because it sets a tone of the relationship that Ray and Kylo have, because remember that trend of the, you know, the Ray, you know, Ray and Kylo shipping, you know, Raylo, Raylo. I think we're going to have to get into a lot of Raylo discussion when we talk about last Jedi. Yeah. And in this movie kind of sets a tone, like, you know, y'all crazy for that. But two, I look at it as a scene where, you know, Ray is, is Palpatine's, um, granddaughter and Kylo is, you know, Darth Vader's, you know, grandson, grandson. And, and it's like you know grandkids kind of going opposites of what their legacies tell them you know ray doesn't know she's a palpatine but she's fighting for the good to get away from that and kylo is like wanting it was good but he's kind of going with his grandfather so like they're the same but opposite in some way if that makes sense I, yeah and i i still don't know and i by the way I don't care, but I still don't know if they intended for Ray to be a Palpatine in 2015. I think they probably didn't, but I'm not sure. Um, but I don't even care because that's not how we look at storytelling. Mm -hmm. Like stop psychoanalyzing everything. People. Right, right. Um, anyway, yeah, yeah. I, I love that scene because, I, I mean, I love this whole movie because it's a movie where you've got a bad guy trying not to be seduced by the light. And it's the opposite of what we usually get, which is a good guy trying not to be seduced by the dark. But you've got this tortured villain who kind of wants to be good, but is trying to suppress it. And by the end of this movie, seems to have pretty well suppressed it when he finally kills his father. And Kylo Ren is a ruthless, awful bastard in this movie, which is something that I, I love that they don't sugarcoat just what a terrible person he is. But Ray has got this legit, like, anger and like kind of hateful looks that come out during that fight which i really really enjoy and there was so much discussion about that fight when this movie came out chris Seriously. i'm sure you remember oh god about how did ray beat kylo when she didn't have any training <laughs> this is what people always talk about training okay Here's the thing. One, okay, like I said before, Ray has been fighting for her life her entire life. She knows how to fight. We have well established this in the movie. Check. Two, this is probably Kylo's first ever lightsaber fight. 
because outside of training like he's had training when he trained under luke i'm sure he's done some lightsaber fighting training under snoke but who has he actually had a conflict a legit fight to the death lightsaber fight with the only mm -hmm. jedi left is luke and he's not fighting luke he hasn't seen luke since he left his training mm -hmm. um so kylo is a very young angry emotional man who has no experience with this kind of thing and I think in that way, they're a lot more evenly matched than people give them credit for. And plus, the Force does what the Force wants. And it, the movie makes it very clear that the Force is very specifically working through Rey and not through Kylo. Mm -hmm. And plus, he gets shot with a bowcaster from Chewie, for God's sake. And he just yes, killed emotionally his father. Yes. And I love that scene when he stabs Han Solo with the light in the blue and then the light closes with all dark to kind of symbolize in a way that he has fully committed to being on one side or the other. Um, but one thing I I took away now rewatching this movie is that Ray technically is a in in lineage is a bad guy like ray's family is bad the ultimate bad very guys are, bad yeah <laughs> like the devil right but she is wielding a blue lightsaber and she is fighting for her friends and all these good people against someone who's had a very com complicated family lineage who started off good and is trying to be bad to me that kind of tells like indirectly kind of told me when i was watching this movie that ray is fighting this person to without her even knowing at the time like what you're doing is wrong. I know from what my family history tells me is you're wrong. I don't want to be a part of this. I am good. This is what good would look like. And when they separate, because she she's totally not supposed to, if you look and watch all these movies and you rewatch Force Awakens, Ray Palpatine is fighting for the good, is fighting Darth Vader, who one, not only did not like the emperor, who even tried to kill the emperor and like, you know, was conflicting with his relationship with him is now his grandson is fighting the emperor's granddaughter because he doesn't want it because he's conflicted again. To me, that's so cool. And that's like something I never would have thought when watching that lightsaber fight, but it has so much more weight and meaning of like what's to come and what has like now we watch these movies and we look back and it's like, wow, that is so crazy that we have like the person who's supposed to be the ultimate bad guy is the ultimate good person in the story and is trying to tell the conflicted character throughout the entire saga of these movies, this lineage is that you need to stop because history will repeat itself. Um, and I never thought of that before. And uh, I, I don't know, like I said, if that was the direction, but like, I can't unsee that now, like that lightsaber fight with Kylo and Ray, I cannot unsee and Ray kind of trying to tell Kylo, I don't know you, but what you're doing is wrong and you know, it's wrong. Just trust me on this. And he doesn't trust her, obviously, but it's a cool lightsaber fight. And think how kind of boring this would be if this movie was about Han and Leia's son. He's a Jedi now and he's awesome. Mm -hmm. Like that's just like it fits expectations way too much. It's kind of boring. And this movie does make a point of defying expectations. And the next movie really makes a point of defying expectations, right. which is something a lot of people don't like. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I definitely appreciate about this trilogy. And to just rewind the movie and where we're talking about about five minutes, I one of my favorite moments in the entire franchise is when Ray catches the lightsaber and the force theme kicks in. Oh, yeah. I don't know why, but when I saw this opening weekend, I did not expect that. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and rewatching it, I don't understand why I didn't expect that because Ray has a force vision. The lightsaber calls out to Ray. Ray uses the force to escape. Like Ray obviously has heavy, heavy Jedi powers. Um, but for some reason, I still didn't expect her to turn out to be the Jedi of the franchise. Uh, and when that lightsaber flies past Kylo and goes into her hands, man, like one of the coolest things I had ever seen. I felt like when I saw that in theaters, I love that so much. Yeah. And this movie, you get a lot of buildup to what the relationship between the symbiotic relationship between Ray and Kylo were going to be when he's trying to, he, like he, he's the only one, she's the only one he pull, takes his mask off and shows his face off to in the entire movie. Like he has Poe. He's That's true. You know, he's except of, Han, except his dad. Right. Right. Which you know, it kind of shows like a mutual respect in a way and like the kind of relationship they're going to have, like they see eye to eye, maybe sometimes, sometimes they don't. One is like above the other. Um, I really like that. And I like how she's just so quick to say when she's delivered, I love the line she delivers when she goes like, you're afraid that you're not going to be as strong as Darth Vader. And it just really gets to him, you know, because it's like throughout the entire trilogy, she is that one reminder to him that, you know, he is not as cool as he thinks he is, you know? kind of humbles him i like that um and in an odd way the same thing i I can't unsee this now is like their grandkids to you know the characters we grew up watching uh palpatine you know manipulates how many times anakin and darth vader you know tells them how things are but they're not really that good how many times throughout this entire trilogy does ray end up becoming and telling kylo how things are but he just doesn't want to believe her now it's kind of the same type of manipulation in the other way to me, at least. And I really like that approach because it feels like the good guy is trying to help the bad guy instead of the bad guy constantly manipulating the good guy, if that makes sense. Um, sure, sure. Um, but yeah, I really like that. I like that relationship a lot. And to kind of call back, because whenever I think of Star Wars, I think of one, you got to talk about Star Wars with the Force and the Jedi and that stuff. The other aspect of Star Wars for me that I love so much is one, the space battles and like the smugglers and the, you know. The scum and villainy. <laughs> right, right. Because I can't, because this movie does one one hell of a job with the Force and explaining that exposition and bringing that back with Kylo and Rey. Because those same thing with Darth Vader and, Anakin, and Luke, those characters of the original trilogy felt different than Han and Leia and like Lando and Boba Fett and that t- type of world in Star Wars. Um Finn and Poe and, you know, General Hux, you know, General Hux feels like a Boba Fett in a way because he, he looks cool, but he's always like the main bad guy for these guys, you know, but he's not as bad as they think. Does he look that cool? <laughs> no, he doesn't. But, you know, like he's that constant, you know, in the movie for them. Oh, I said he's Tarkin Jr. Like he wants to be Grand Moff Tarkin, but he's just not as cool as Peter Cushing. So he mm-hmm. just can't cut it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But man, like those, I mean... I, Throughout this movie, I kept thinking, man, how much would it suck to be a pilot in this universe? Like you're in constant threat of like dying at any moment. That's why I don't want to go to space. I don't understand all these billionaires that want to go to space. I'm like, if you go to space, any little thing goes wrong and you are dead. Like Mm -hmm. I am not. No, thank you. Mm -hmm. No, thank you. I don't need to go out there. But dude, all the space battle scenes when it's when it's Poe and Finn escaping um, the First Order for the first time, or if it's like the the Resistance coming to meet with the First Order in space combat, and even when they're trying to kill Scar Killer Base, that stuff is so cool. It's so well executed. I feel the drama. I'm even though I know the outcome, I'm still sucked in. Also, you get to see Nidnub, and uh, I love Nidnub. 
So I'm glad he got appreciation in this movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, the space battles are great. I mean, when we talk about the next movie, like The Last Jedi mm-hmm. has an all-timer <laughs> space mm-hmm. battle. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's great in this movie. The Disney era is fantastic with Millennium Falcon chases. Because there yes. is one in Solo that is, again, all fucking timer Star Trek sequence. But in this movie too, sorry, Star Wars sequence. But in this movie too, uh, the Falcon chase when Rey and Finn are escaping Jakku is incredibly exciting. Just mm-hmm. amazing. Oh yeah, 100%. And um, dude, I don't know, this movie has... I don't know. Were you teared up watching this movie? I swear, every time I watch this, before, any of the Star Wars sequel movies, I always tear up at moments I know I always do. That's and awesome. I always tear up with the Jack Hoof Millennium Falcon takeoff where it's like, no, don't take that. That's a piece of junk. That piece of junk will do. And it's a Millennium Falcon. I remember watching it with Charlie and I was like, oh, that's a Millennium Falcon. And she's like, yeah, I know. But I was just like, I know, but it's a falcon you know one of my favorite things about star wars is how every character reacts to the millennium falcon like it's a piece of garbage mm-hmm. except han he is always completely in love with that ship and i love that dude how did he i can't believe he did the castle run in 14 parsecs <laughs> not if you round down buddy yeah that's oh, we'll right. get we'll get to that movie we'll get there. <laughs> i love when he just like he he, he goes 12 14 parsecs like <laughs> like oh man because i love solo so much the movie but like also like just han as a character and like the lore of like remember like imagine watching the force or um the um new hope and when he's talking about the castle run in 12 parsecs and stuff like i have no idea what that means but now eventually we understand those references and stuff it makes it even cooler in a way man that's an amazing thing about new hope is it just casually mentioned so many things that meant nothing in 1979 i was just doing some reading just because i love the man so much i was reading about peter cushing and his experience making star wars and he you know talked about how he didn't know what a lot of his dialogue meant he didn't know what a lot of the words were but he just learned the words and he just tried to deliver them as confidently as he could He was like, what's in Alderaan? <laughs> it's like, all right, it's I'll, I'll say the word. And he, man, to his credit, Tarkin always sounds like he knows exactly what he's talking about. Fear. Fear of this battleship will keep the remaining systems in balance. Oh, man, I love Tarkin. Oof. Me too. Uh, Me too. Um, dude, Maz can't, is it Maz Cantina's, I guess, technically Maz Canada, Maz Canada. And they get to her cantina basically, dude, I love that scene and how many like new cool aliens. One thing about every Star Wars movie, especially the sequel trilogy, you get it in the last Jedi. And one of my favorite things about last Jedi, you get so many original concept designs for aliens in these movies. And um, you also get some OGs. Like I, I didn't see the original Moss Isaac Cantina band, but I did see the Wolfman at the very beginning of the entrance. Oh yeah. Yeah. I like that. I like seeing aliens. And I think solo and last Jedi have like the best concept looks for like cantina bar scenes with aliens there, you know? Yeah. And solo, you get the fish singing in the, in the tank. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. But yeah, this movie, like, again, it kind of takes from the original, but doesn't do it directly and different enough where you can't technically say it's copying. I used to be when I first watched the movies, like, yeah, there's a lot of copies off of, but now the more I keep and keep watching, I'm like, no, no, no. It kind of stands on its own. It just borrows the good stuff. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, I do think, and I don't want to offend anybody too much, but I do think it's kind of lazy criticism when people just say, oh, it's just a copy of New Hope. Because it's not, because if it was a copy of New Hope, it would not have blown all of our minds in 2015, which it did. It takes the structure, sure, but we also need to remember that it's the it's setting the world up. Look, it's not going to be as it's not going to defy your expectations as much as Last Jedi. And, and when Last Jedi did, a lot of people didn't like that. So what do you want in the first place? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but there, I do think there is enough that is different and original about this movie that I, again, like we, we've kind of gone over it a few times here, but I don't think it's just a copy paste. No, definitely not. But, but let me just say the thing that is copy paste that I don't care for is that we have to blow up a Death Star at the end. Yeah, Starkiller base kind of comes and goes, eh? Yeah, and the the dogfight with uh, Poe and all the X-Wings trying to blow up the base, look, it does not hold a candle to no. the dogfight in A New Hope, like not even slightly. And when they do lightsaber battles in these sequel movies, they, I mean, they're as good as in the original trilogy. Like you're not just comparing it to the original trilogy, mm-hmm. but that dogfight, mm-hmm. you are. It's not half as exciting. You know what the outcome's going to be. Um, and the whole thing just feels so superfluous to the Ray, Kylo, and also Finn conflict going on at the surface. That is the moneymaker. Like that mm-hmm. conflict is so good. And whenever we cut back to the dogfight, it's kind of like, all right, time to check my phone, time to sip my <laughs> beverage. It's almost like a commercial break. And then we'll get back to Ray and Kylo. That's what I really want to watch. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like Poe, even though he's one of my favorite characters in the entire trilogy, Poe kind of is given just like the hotshot pilot role in this movie. And that's about it, you know? And he has so much well, more- he's not in the movie very much in his defense. Right. But I mean, you, he's such a personality in the movie, you know? With him and BBA, which I mean, I fucking love BBA. BBA is one of the like goats of like all the entire Star Wars franchise, you know? Um, and like he, you start the movie off with him as the main character. Um I just, I don't know. I, I really like, I, again, we talked about it at the very beginning. I love the casting choices. Even when watching it for the first time, I was like, I know I'm going to like these characters and I hope I get to see these characters again. And then this movie takes such crazy risks. Like, look what happens to Finn at the end of Force Awakens. Like, I was like, oh, is boy, is Buddy going to be okay? Because I swear he was going to be the main character throughout this franchise. And he was, he's, you know, he's not the main character, but um yeah, I don't know. It's just like the set pieces with like, I mean, he's wielding a lightsaber more often than Ray in this movie. That's so that's like if Han Solo or like Leia was wielding a lightsaber in the a new hope more than Luke. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, interesting thing about that is Finn is the first, I think he's the first character in the Star Wars movies who's not a at least heavy force user who wields a lightsaber. Not a Jedi, not a Sith, not anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it does look different. Like he does look a lot less cool wielding a lightsaber. It is a lot clumsier and it's a lot less smooth. Um, I do like the fight that he has with the stormtrooper who has the the buzzing laser. Oh, the traitor. traitor. <laughs> Love that fight. It's fun. But there's just no doubt that Finn does not look that cool with a lightsaber. I contend the actor, the number one actor who looks the coolest with a lightsaber ever is Hayden Christensen. Hayden Christensen in Revenge of the Sith is the most amazing, badass looking dude who's ever wielded a lightsaber in the saga. But yeah, yeah it's it's di- it's different with Finn. Um, and he is a bit of a misdirect. One important thing I want to note about Finn, because it's going to come up in the Last Jedi discussion, and it's something that a lot of people neglect to recognize when they talk about Last Jedi. 
In Force Awakens, Finn does not have an arc. He never mm -hmm. becomes a true believer in the resistance. His only goal in the whole movie is I want to survive. I want to be away from the, as far away from the Empire as possible. And I want Ray to be far away from them with me. And that's his only goal. He's never a, resi a true resistance fighter in this movie. Um, that's going to come up in the discussion on our next episode. 100%. 100%. Yeah. Um, Finn is just like a character like you sympathize with because you know what he's gone through because we've seen throughout the whole movie. But like, I never feel like he's the hero. You know what I mean? And Because he's not. Right. Because this movie is all about meeting your heroes and like the expectation was bigger than what the delivery was you know like they they talk about who luke skywalker was who general solo was you know and it's like a lot of these you know these characters are like oh okay you know the only one that lives up to expectation is general leia but that's because she's literally never stopped fighting since episode four you know um but all these other characters just like oh these these bigger larger than life people they're just like us but like you know they're just more like sticking to the guns. Like how many times has Han like not wanted, like take him and like reach out to general Leia, you know, because his own personal things and like being a dumbass. and Luke literally goes into fucking hiding and stuff, you know, like these characters are kind of realizing these legends that we loved and we glorify, they're not what they thought we thought they were. So we have to be the ones to bring them out of that and like realize how we look at them, you know? And I like that because it gives faith again, to like what these characters had in the original trilogy, which, and you think about like, as life goes on, you know, the things you did, you might, you know, look back on and have regrets and like, you know, I get that stuff. This movie, these movies kind of accomplished that in a way of like telling the OG fans of like the original trilogy, like this is what happens to your heroes when you glorify them, you know, like they're not just like these icons for you. Like they are people in these movies and these storylines. This is what's naturally going to happen to them. And that definitely will come up later in the other two movies too um this movie these this trilogy feels like a like a farewell tour for some people with these movies to me it's like kind of like finishing the story arcs of these characters from the original trilogy in a believable aspect i'm glad you said that yeah because i also don't have a problem with how this sequel trilogy carries on the stories of mm -hmm. the old characters because i i can understand being disappointed that oh 30 years later Han Solo is back to his back on his bullshit. Basically, mm -hmm. <laughs> he is mm -hmm. off on his own. He's doing his smuggling shit, blah, blah, blah. But I think it's realistic. Like, mm -hmm. I really do. Like, mm -hmm. Han is not the greatest person, guys. He's not. Um, I, I, we love him because he's a scoundrel. He's a wonderful scoundrel. But like, he doesn't become a paragon of virtue by the end of the original trilogy. And you know, I know that uh, Return of the Jedi is your favorite Star Wars movie, and I respect that, but that's the least interesting Han Solo for me. Like, if we want to watch Han Solo again, I'm kind of happy they brought him back to New Hope Han Solo, mm -hmm. uh, rather than the bit more boring, a bit more docile Return of the Jedi Han Solo. Right. Yeah, I agree. The best thing about the Return of the Jedi is Luke Skywalker for me. Like, I, I love Luke Skywalker, but oh, like, yeah. Han, but like Han no Solo, question. but yeah, you're totally right, though. Like, Han Solo you know, running away from his problems, you know? And like, I love how JJ Abram or whoever the writer was for this line where he, you know, the kanji club comes in and tells solo the game is old. There's nowhere left. No one left in the galaxy for you to swindle. <laughs> Tell that to kanji club. Right. And I'm like, I love that <laughs> scene because it does kind of say to everyone, 
Han is old news. He's not going to last much longer doing whatever he's doing. And he's not wanting to grow up and move on from this life he's only ever known. And um, it's, it's, it's in a subtle way, kind of, it kind of, to me, that's what it always told me. You know, it's like Han is old. He's too old to be doing this shit. You know, he needs to go back to Leia, you know? But I got to say, and I'm so glad to, I'm so glad to say this, Harrison Ford brought it for this movie. Mm -hmm. He did not phone it in at all. He is so good in this. He brings so much energy back to, back to the character. Um, I just, I just love Harrison Ford in this movie. He did such a great job. And I love the relationship with Chewie in this movie with him. Absolutely. Oh, they're just like one, two, like you can't have one without the other in this movie. Ah, just like so good. I tear up every time he goes like, Chewie, we're home. You know, like, I mean, I I can literally remember when the crowd was cheering when that scene happened in theaters. Um, Also, I love the relationship with Leia in this movie because it's like, it's so sweet, but like kind of somber in a way because they have to carry this emotional weight of their son, which is bold for this movie. The first installment to basically drop the Luke, I am your father in the first movie instead of in like the second or third movie. Cause I remember constantly the headlines, who's Kylo Ren, who's Kylo Ren, watch the movie. And you find out who the fuck Kylo Ren is right off the bat. Yeah. And, and we're like, we knew this guy, Adam driver was in the movie, but I didn't know who Adam driver was playing. Mm-hmm. So then when he takes off that mask, it's again, a great reverse of expectation. Darth Vader never took off his mask and revealed himself to be a mm-hmm. handsome prince, mm-hmm. but that's what we get with Kylo Ren. And it's pretty interesting. I love when he goes like, you're thinking about Han Solo. He's probably the father you never had. I could have told you he would have disappointed you. And it's like, Oh, Is really there anything quick? better than Adam driver's <laughs> voice. I love his voice. Dude, I want to <laughs> ship him so bad. <laughs> I want it to be okay. <laughs> Bruh, but why is Snoke so big in this movie, though? You ever, uh, that always bothered me watching this movie. Snoke is so fucking huge. And I literally kept thinking when I first watched this movie, Snoke is this big mother effer. Dude, that is some major micro penis energy to make your hologram projection that big. Like, oh, we get it. You're very important and very intimidating. Remember the theories on who Snoke was? Ah, oh, <laughs> so take me much. back. Take me back to stupid, naive Star Wars fandom of 2015. <laughs> he's 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 oh, he's theories. Mace Windu. Remember Mace Windu got thrown off by Palpatine there? Well, he actually lived, and now he's Snoke. Or like what other random bullshit he was. I got to say the final reveal of what Snoke is, <laughs> is so like hilariously thrown over the shoulder. Like who gives a shit? And like, I kind of respect uh, how little this <laughs> series turned out to give a shit about Snoke. <laughs> and that's the thing. Like the bad, like the bad guys are like larger than life in their own eyes, you know, like they build themselves as being these big things, but like in the audience mind and the story is the more it progresses. They're not as crazy diabolical as they think they really are in comparison to like the original trilogy in a way, you know, like Kylo thinks he's like Darth Vader. He create, he, he commits big atrocities, maybe bigger than Darth Vader, but he's not as like imposing as Darth Vader and Snoke is not imposing as the emperor was. And in at least the movies, you know, introductions. Um, Oh God, there was even one more. I was just thinking about where it's like, not like that with the original trilogy, but I don't know. This movie is just kind of deconstructing the larger than life expectations we had with these characters and puts it in a movie. It's so weird. It is so weird to me. Like the movie is telling me that while also showing me these new things. I don't feel like I've ever gotten that in movies before. Well, there's Halloween kills. 
I'm sorry. I'm just kidding. Yeah, Michael Myers is so much bigger than in life in that movie than in any other movie. <laughs> Where was the House of Thorn in that again? I swear they were just observing the, cult of the Thorn. Cult oh, of Thorn. dude, dude, dude. Okay, I'm sorry. This is so off topic, but I just saw a headline from Bloody Disgusting oh, that said that the Halloween Kills novelization reveals a Cult of Thorn connection, and I'm like, I knew it. I knew this series was going back to the Cult of Thorn. <sighs> That's like the Heroes in the Stars book for that came out right after um, The Force Awakens, the book, you know, that explains the minor Lost characters. Lost Stars? Lost Stars, yeah, like the minor characters who are like Force sensitive and all these other background information. Scenes. I didn't read Lost Stars, but I know our friend Seth loved it. I've heard it's actually really good. Yeah, he gave me a lot of details. It makes sense. But like, again, that's like for if you're interested in, you know, and that's what's kind of cool about the sequel trilogy. If you don't want to get super invested in the background scenes and all these characters, you can watch the movie and you'd be totally fine. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, this, I, I heard this movie described this way on a podcast one time, and I love this description. This movie is a hit pop radio single. Ooh. Like it's familiar enough, but different enough. And it's just goes down so smooth, makes you happy the whole way through. Maybe it's not terribly challenging, but that's okay. Cause you just have a blast the whole time you're enjoying it. Yeah. That's a good way. Yeah. It's kind of like the film feast of the trilogy movies for sure. Like you gotta like it. It's going to have some lukewarm takes, but you know, you enjoy it all the way through. <laughs> you monster. How dare you insult <laughs> our friend Matt Bledsoe? No, but this movie, like it grows on me more. It's probably not going to reach top five territory rankings for me ever, but like, it's still like the more I watch it, the more I appreciate it way more than I think I did when I, you know, first watched it as an angry you. And then, on hindsight thinking about it you know i used to think it was my second favorite of the sequel trilogy but i'm not totally sure now I, i'm i'm interested to rewatch rise of skywalker but um because yeah this one i knew this one of of the trilogy uh it's going to be the least interesting one for us to talk about but even so like talking about it has been so much fun but the next two there's just so much more meat to bite into you know it's gonna be very interesting it's literally it's literally the parameters of like starting inside the sequel you know it's like everyone likes the first one but that doesn't tell me anything about you but like you talk about the sequel movies then i start to get to know you and like that's more interesting conversation you know go with the same what you're saying i hear you i hear you it's a sweet little film. You know, it's cool. It's on Disney Plus. You can check it out whenever you want. <laughs> uh, I mean, I don't want to. I feel like we've just pivoted for some reason. I love this movie. I think it's great. <laughs> no, it's good. It, it's, it's definitely very good. Yes. Um, I will say, fuck, like, you know, as someone who's overtly critical of like Disney Star Wars overtake, um, I fucking hate how the, all the new Star Wars stuff that's been coming out since Disney bought Star Wars, especially like with the sequel trilogy, it makes it so much harder to like rank like your Star Wars movies and shit like that, you know, because like there's so many ways you can take it. Like when you got the first six, you know, it's kind of clear cut in a way, but like with the, you know, this trilogy is just like, and I mean, it can go anywhere. Yeah, I love the Disney era of Star Wars. I really do. Um, and I would not be the Star Wars fan that I am today if it wasn't for it. Because like I said, before Force Awakens came out, I was just like, yeah, I like the original trilogy, good movies. But that was kind of it for me. Um, seeing this movie kind of revealed to me how like how Star Wars was more special to me than I thought it was. Because like mm -hmm. when Han says it's true, the Force and the Jedi, it's all true. Like it's such obvious nostalgia bait. But, mm -hmm. but that moment like hit me in a way that I didn't think Star Wars would hit me. Mm -hmm. um, 
And when I remember when I first saw it at the very end, when Luke Skywalker <sighs> turns around and we see Mark Hamill, I teared up mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I did not know at that time how much Luke Skywalker meant to me. Mm-hmm. And now Luke Skywalker is one of my favorite, like top five fictional characters of all time. Mm-hmm. Luke is my favorite Star Wars character, hands down. There's no question. But I did not know that uh, before this movie came out and before like the sequel trilogy deepened Luke, who Luke Skywalker mm-hmm. is for me. Um, so yeah, like the Disney era of Star Wars, very special to me. The sequel trilogy, very special to me. And uh, so psyched to be talking about them on Inside the Sequel. Seriously, dude. Also, that ending is so like Infinity War-esque before even Infinity War in terms of pop culture, like franchises, like the ending of it, her, like this whole thing just to reveal the lightsaber and then it ends just like that. Even though I own all the movies, I was like, God damn, like, fuck, that's how you end the movie and I have to wait how long, you know, back then to like get another movie? <laughs> two years. We had to wait dude. two years. Ah, crazy but yeah i am i am excited for to go through more of these movies and give some more takes not too many hot takes here except for the virgins who like didn't like this movie because you're a virgin maybe i don't know but that goes hand in hand with being a star wars fan probably (laughs) um but yeah i am excited to go through especially with next episode like we said star wars is gonna be every fucking friday for november because november is boring and we want to talk about something cool Uh, hey I, i love noir films just throwing that out there. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we're going to be talking about Last Jedi next week. And I'm so fucking excited for that one because I don't know how that was going to go. But I, I mean, I know how we'll go, but I don't know how everyone's going to take that one. Um, okay. But- so so next week we're talking Last Jedi. Week after that is Rise of Skywalker. And then we're doing like the Star Wars stories. Yeah. 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 We'll talk about Solo and Rogue One. And then just kind of like, just talk about Star Wars and stuff. You know, it'd be cool. I'm into it. I'm into it. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it's, it's crazy. I have to talk about a top three Star Wars movie at the very end of this whole thing with solo. <laughs> oh, no reaction. No. Oh, I thought, that I mean, be... I love that movie, but I cannot stand with you at top three. Oh, okay. Well, You're on that mountain alone. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, but yeah. Um, Daniel, where can people find you so they can listen to you? Yeah, uh, you can check me out at the Cobwebs podcast. We're on like kind of mostly a hiatus in November because kind of kicking back after, uh, after no, we not, put out so many episodes in You can October. talk about No Nut November. You need to take some time to reflect. It's okay. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> but pretty soon, actually, we will have a new episode. We are finally talking about the James Bond franchise. Uh, Mark Warner and I are talking about some 1960s Bond. So you can uh, check that out over the Cabo's podcast. There's going to be no nutting on that episode. I can guarantee you that. <laughs> I don't it get like a discussion. Is Bond sexy? Like, are those movies like hot? You know, like they have women in them, but I can't imagine the Bonds ever having sex with them. They just feel I, like, and we shouldn't get into it. I don't know how to describe <laughs> 60 years of Bond to you right now. <laughs> but yes, James Bond has a lot of sex. Are they sexy movies? most of the time no because like they're very mainstream movies that often kids watch uh Uh, but james bond does have a lot of sex uh and i'm surprised you don't know that that's pretty weird (laughs) what's weird like you have mark water talk about james bond i didn't know he had the the time or the crayons to watch those kind of movies what i'm gonna gonna cut that out uh but no that'll be cool you have a mark Warner on there talk about james bond another big franchise oddly enough so that'd be cool you're just a franchise guy aren't you you know what's funny is after October ended, and I never said this publicly because it sounds stupid. Um, I in my head I dubbed November franchise of Ember because I was so 
tired of like seeking out new movies and finding new discoveries and watching so many films after October that I was like, I just want to watch like franchise movies I've already seen stuff that's super easy. I just want to watch Star Wars movies and James Bond movies and whatever other franchise um, because I was just feeling tired of being a cinephile. Like sometimes you just got to take a break. Like being a cinephile can be exhausting. You just need to like chill and just watch some James Bond or some Star Wars. Bruh, you just got to engage in Sad Vember with fucking Anthony King, I guess. I, I did jump in on a little Sad Vember. I watched Home for the Holidays, which is one of his Sad Vember picks. And it wasn't yeah. that sad, but it was good. It's all right. It's all right. He's watching Woody Allen movies. And like, I like to say is once he gets canceled to come over to this side of the tracks with me. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, no, dude, thank you for coming on and thank you for committing to the whole month long of star Wars. I'm excited for this sequel trilogy. Um, maybe we fucking talk about this stuff. How many times, even without recording too many times to think, Oh um, man, we've been talking about Star Wars ever since we met. I mean, one of the first times I met you, you were wearing a Chewbacca onesie and that is not a lie. Right, right. <laughs> uh, yeah, but yeah, I'm excited for that. And if you're excited for more of this, don't forget to subscribe to the, um, the podcast inside the sequel. You can find us on SequelPod on Twitter. You can follow us on our website, www.insidethesequel.com. Follow me on Twitter at Hurtastic underscore Chris as well. Um, check out if you want to hear more of Dan and I collabs. Listen to our fly um series that happened in october it was really fun if you missed that definitely check that out um but look forward to next friday where we talk about the last jedi and uh let us know what your thoughts are on the star wars movies as well um with the uh when we post these videos i like i like when people engage and like give their thoughts like remember we did that fly episode and that one guy's like i always anticipate chris getting the wrong answers I knew you would love that tweet. Yeah, like that fuels the fire for me. So give me more of that shit. Anyway, <laughs> um, hope to hear. Uh, hope to to hear what uh, people are excited for for Last Jedi. Um, but other than that, if you aren't standing the sequel trilogy trilogy of Star Wars, do you really care about cinema? Anyway, we'll see you next.